oftentimes when I tell people I'm, I'm Indian or Indian American, you know, there's, there's responses like, Oh, Oh, I love naan. Or like, do you, do you, do you eat curry? <laughs> you know, to which I'm like, do you know what curry is? Like curry is just this like generic term that means like mixed spices. <laughs> I'm like, that's like in every Indian dish. Of course I like curry. <laughs> you know. Um. Hello and welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women on our ethnic journey and leadership. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and we are so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Someday is Here. Every week I get to introduce to you some phenomenal Asian American women, and this week is no different. Uh, This week's guest is Dr. Michelle Reyes. She is a bicultural Indian American. So she's our first South Asian guest here on Someday is Here. And uh, not only is she a church planter, a pastor's wife, an author, a speaker, and an activist, she also serves as the vice president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, which is an incredible resource that we will link up in our show notes. Highly encourage you to look them up. Uh, Michelle has her PhD in 18th century German literature. She is smart and she is uh, she's really articulate in being able to explain the complexity of living in tension as an Asian American, um, mixed race, married to Mexican American, raising kids, and living in really a liminal space. Um, I love how she talks about how she relates to being like every Indian and some Indians and no other Indians. And I just thought that's so true of our AAPI experience that we can relate to all and some and none in all of our journeys. So it's such a rich conversation. I cannot wait for you to hear more. So enjoy today's show. Welcome back to Someday is Here, and every week I have the incredible privilege of interviewing some really remarkable Asian American women, and this week is no different. Um, as I shared earlier a little bit about Dr. Michelle Reyes, uh, she is a bicultural Indian American. She is the vice president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, and her writing is getting out everywhere. It's been really remarkable to see all that's happened in the time that we first met, actually. So um, I'm so thrilled to invite my friend um, and just a fellow. Uh, I, when I think about all that's going on in these COVID days, um, when I think of Michelle, I just think of a leader who is all about linking arms and helping to really bring about solidarity in many aspects. So I just love her leadership and her example. And I love thinking and visually in my mind, picturing us linking arms. And so that's really been my, uh, my heart and experience with you, Michelle. So thank you for being on Some Days Here. Oh, it's such a joy and honor to be talking with you, Viv. Thanks for having me. 
Oh, it's so fun. And I'm just thinking we had such a blast um, at the Someday Who's Is Here live event. That's the first time we met in person. And um, it just feels like a million years ago now. Yes. Yes. I think, I mean, that was the last time I, I traveled, right? Like hopped on a plane uh, before quarantines hit. And like the idea of traveling now and being in large spaces, I mean, it's, it, it, yeah, it feels like such a foreign, even I watch like a movie and I see people all hanging out and I'm like, yeah. what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> Where are the masks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the, the, what, what happened in February in LA at the Someday is Here event was just um, such a joy and, and a first, a first type of experience in my life. I had never been in a room uh, of, of all Asian American Christian women. That was the first time where I felt like I was actually in the majority uh, mm. of people like myself, you know, mm-hmm. brown skinned women uh, with similar cultural values and, and narratives and, and all of us uh, like, like you didn't have to explain everything because we got each <laughs> other and, and to have that uh, in a, in, in a way that I've never had in my whole life. Like it, like what you're doing with Some Days Here, Viv, is just, um, I know it has blessed so many people, including myself. So mm. I, well, I pray that quarantines are over by next year so that, you know, the next... Yes, so <laughs> we can do it again. The reality in person. <laughs> uh, yes, I long for that. And I long for just the time. I mean, seriously, this whole Some Days Here thing, I realize we are really kind of a family run shtick. <laughs> I was just thinking it's just it's a mom and pop thing like the night before the live event, all of us, you know, all of these presenters and everyone who's just pitching in and stuffing the swag bags. I mean it really felt like, you know, we were just in it together and I loved it. And I just we just needed more time. We just needed more time to eat the snacks and tell the stories and just have that time. So I'm grateful for uh, technology that at least allows us to connect again. And I would love for our listeners to hear more of your story. Uh, I believe that you are my first Indian American um, guest. And I would just love to hear your, your ethnic journey and just those parts of your story that, you know, just create who you are. And I would, yeah, just start and we'll just jump in. I'll probably like, sure. you know, butt in along the way too. But yeah, here we are yeah. having coffee. Tell me your story. Tell us, share <laughs> us your story. Definitely. Well, first I'm, I'm honored and glad to be included within the Asian American conversation. You know, um, Kathy Park Hong, she came out with a book in February, I believe, Minor Feelings and Asian oh, American so Reckoning. Good. Such a good book, but I love this phrase that she has in there where she says that um, the paint on the word Asians is still wet, right? And so this mm. is like this, who we are is changing, expanding, um, and and oftentimes Indians and South Asians haven't been included in this conversation, mm-hmm. and that that's changing and 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 wanting to understand how we are as different ethnic people groups, very different, but there are things that bring us together. There are narratives and experiences that we all share, which is part of our, our um, common identity as Asian Americans. So I'm Mm. honored to be part of this conversation as a South Asian. Um, But yeah, you know, it's um, how, how to explain being Indian American. I mean, we all, we've all experienced the stereotypes growing up, right? Like, um, for myself, 
oftentimes when I tell people I'm, I'm Indian or Indian American, you know, there's, there's responses like, Oh, Oh, I love naan. Or like, do you, do you, do you eat curry? <laughs> you know, to which I'm like, do you know what curry is? Like curry is just this like generic term that means like mixed spices. <laughs> I'm like, that's like in every Indian dish. Of course I like curry. <laughs> you know? um, or, uh, or, or they'll say something like, Oh, that's really cool. Like I love India or I would, I went to India once or something like that, which, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't say those things to like, um, throw shade on anybody because I know people are trying to connect with me, mm-hmm. but, um, oftentimes those, those, those uh, approaches fall short because most of those things don't don't speak to my experience or or, or mm-hmm. my identity, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was I was born in the states. I was born in South Carolina, <laughs> and I spent <laughs> most of my life here, um, except for when I was in graduate school. My husband and I we actually lived in Germany for a while while I was doing doctoral research. But I've never lived in India. Even my mom, who's a hundred percent ethnically Indian. She was born and raised in an Indian village in Uganda, Africa, and was her great great grandparents were brought there as forced laborers by the British Empire um, mm. to build to to build the railroad. And so, you know, um, I do have some Indian friends who are first gen immigrants to this country straight from India, mm-hmm. but I also have so many other Indian friends here in the states that were born and raised in Guyana or Panama or. Mm. Um, or elsewhere around the world. And so um, I think it's really important for people to understand that ethnicity and nationality are, are no longer one and the same, you know? Oh, and, that's so good. And many of us don't see India as our own country. And, mm-hmm. and uh, when people try to connect with us on those sorts of abstract le- layers, if you will, mm-hmm. um, things can get awkward very quickly. <laughs> Oh, I totally agree. And, you know, it's interesting because that just sparked a memory for me. I had, you know, born in Wisconsin, you know, raised in Colorado. I'd spent one year in Hong Kong, which, again, was not my parents' country of origin. But it was in Hong Kong that I met my first Indian friends. Mm. You know, so there was a, a whole group of Indians that were in Hong Kong. So in the same way you're talking about Uganda or, you know, all. there's just, we, we are, are, different heritages um we have we have since moved in many many different directions <laughs> so yeah. i think making that clarification is really really helpful so yes yeah. and i know like we're speaking to a largely asian american audience so the people listening are going to get this but in the midst of uh you know the coronavirus and national leaders calling it the chinese virus and being like i even had somebody told me like go home right and i'm like what do you mean go home? <laughs> like go to South Carolina? Like what? <laughs> like, um, you know, it's just like a false conception that anybody who's not white is from some other mother country. Uh, yes. If you will. But I, I like to say it this way um, for, for myself and it's, it's true for everyone else in their own way, but I am, I am like every Indian. I am like some Indians and I'm like no other Indian. Because um, mm. there's a lot of values and, and cultural traditions that that bond Indians together, like some of our, our values of food and respect for authority and, and these sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, but I'm a bicultural, second-generation Indian-American who grew up in Minnesota, 
now lives in Austin, Texas. I'm married to a second gen Mexican American man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not only do I have my mother's upbringing and narrative within me, her stories of border crossing and immigration and um, even fleeing genocide in the 70s from President Idi Amin uh, in, in Uganda, Africa. But I, I also have my father's German and British heritage uh, that can be traced back all the way through the daughters of the American Revolution. Wow. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's... it's I, For me, that's part of what it means to be bicultural is to share these two narratives within. Mm. Um, And, you know, my my dad's family, they're all still farmers in Pennsylvania and Delaware, you know, definitely people of the land. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean this in the best way, but all like that stubbornness and like that, like they're just gritty, (laughs) hardy, Mm -hmm. like the pull the corn off the stalk and eat it with the bugs on it kind of, <laughs> kind of thing, you know, <laughs> like resilient people. Um, and so like these qualities were instilled in me at a, at a young age, as much as like the Indian values of respect mm. and open door uh, hospitality and whatnot. So like, that's, that's me and that's unique to me. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, like you couldn't compare me as an Indian woman to any other Indian women. And and that's true for for every person. Okay. So I'm curious because I think um, one of the pieces that is often missing in our narrative and so often, which you kind of touched on, so often we think Asian American, it's very East Asian American. So it's, you know, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, and that's what people think of. And it's so much broader. There are so many variations of Asian um, from Asia. And then to me, which is the future, we are, there's a dearth of information to help navigate being mixed race Mm -hmm. um, and holding intention, you know, and valuing both. And so I'm, could you speak to that? Like, especially to the audience listeners who are mixed race. And we had Darina in the past. She's spoken a little bit to that. But I would love to hear from just your experience and even just where you grew up because all of it matters. Like if you grow up as a Chinese person in Chinatown versus a Chinese person in Atlanta, that's the only Asian. It's a very different experience. So for your your own personal experience, what could you speak to and help the help? help listeners who are not mixed race to understand some of that tension and what it's like. Yeah, definitely. Um, So to take a step back, you know, I think it's also helpful to understand, like when we're talking about cultural identities, like what does that even mean? And and it's, when I talk about cultural identities, I'm talking about like the the narratives and stories that um, define who we are. Like they're the, 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 the stories that our family and our friends have passed down to us. And that teaches about what we um, see as good and beautiful and true in the world, what we see as appropriate and inappropriate and uh, what it means to be a good person and all, you know, these things inform how we live our life and our faith and all these sorts of things. Um, I think the challenge with being bicultural, as I mentioned um, in my own story, is that I have these like differing narratives uh, mm. at, at play and uh and, and, and so I don't fit into any one category, right? And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up like many of my Indian friends straight from India who like are part of the Indian church, like the Martoma denomination and, mm. you know, like just Im- embedded in, in, in that kind of community. Um, and so I never 
growing up, I never felt like I was like fully Indian. And oftentimes like hundred percent Indians from India will tell you you're not a real Indian. Right? <laughs> so that doesn't help the situation. But then of course, like I'm not white. And so I never fit in uh, with, uh, you know, in my very white school and white church and, and all the rest. And so there's that struggle of like, I don't fit in anywhere. My narrative doesn't connect with anyone else's narrative. And, um, you know, so you, you, you sit in this liminal space, you sit in this sort of um, outer marginalized space. And, and for the longest time, I, I felt that as a point of shame, you know, mm. like I, I, uh, I was a misfit, if you will. And for me, um, in my own cultural identity development journey, and, and as I grow in my faith and my culture together, I'm seeing that there's actually beauty in being in that liminal space, like to be mm. cultural, to have multiple narratives going on actually gives me a skill and an ability that um, people with just one cultural narrative don't have. I like, I can see on both sides of the fence or into mm. different worlds. Um, I have a high radar for other people in liminal spaces who also feel like the misfit. Uh, and I think God has uniquely equipped people with bicultural identities to to be those bridge builders mm. and to reach out to people. Um, and honestly, I think that in, in terms of like the future of our own country and within fraught race relations, the church needs to be leaning into Christians with bicultural identities, you know, mm-hmm. discipling them, training them, because they are the future for, mm-hmm. for uh, racial reconciliation. So yes, I absolutely agree. I felt shame in, I think uh, we can reclaim and say, no, God, even though like the world may say uh, this, this is abnormal or not beautiful, like God intends this for, for good. Mm, I think that's so beautiful. And it's so true. I remember listening to an interview um, where Lisa Sharon Harper said that it would be so helpful because white is actually not, you know, it's a, it's a, um, what's the term The it's, it's not a race like mm-hmm. white, is, you know, it's, it's a box on the census, unfortunately, but for people to actually take the time to find out their, their Scottish heritage, which is different than a Dutch heritage, which is different than a Portuguese heritage, and that every culture has its unique um, contribution. And so if we could change that, that would really help as far as how we come to the table um, with with our unique identities and our cultural identities. So that is... So I'm curious because growing up with a mom who is Indian, you know, who from Uganda, which is again a whole nother layer. You know, that's I think that's so amazing. Um in in my understanding, and this this may be ill-informed, so I'd love for you to correct this if you know. Um, but my understanding is that usually the mom is the one because they they make the food and they kind of set the tone of the home typically. Mm-hmm. Um, was that the case for you? Like did you feel like you had a distinctly Indian home with the Indian smells? Like what was that like for you? Totally. Um, yeah, I think that's why, even though like my dad is an Indian, I feel like I was raised in a traditional Indian household. You know, we ate Indian food. Um, I was just telling somebody the other day, like, I don't think I ate a hamburger till I went to college. <laughs> I don't, it was like really, really late in the game. <laughs> like we did not eat, uh, we did not eat American food in our, our house. I, we did have like 
but I remember there was boxes of macaroni, right? Like and my mom, she's like, I love like cooking today. And we had macaroni. But like besides that, it was mostly just Indian food. Um, and then also a lot of my mom's traditional values, right? Like I was never allowed to disagree with my parents growing yeah. up, right? Like ultimate disrespect, like, like if I wanted to say, if I wanted to say no, or I didn't agree with my parents, I had to keep that to myself. Right. Because there was, there was big consequences for disagreeing with my parents. Um, I wasn't allowed to talk to boys. I wasn't allowed to go near boys. Um, you know, and then also just, I was that traditional Indian kid that like did homework on the weekends and my mom also did extra homeschooling on the side and I mean I played a sport and I played an instrument but if I wasn't doing one of those two things or my homework then I was doing homeschooling with my mom and that was just normal right like all my friends all my cousins like we would go and visit my cousins and then my 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 auntie would do math drills with us like <laughs> like this, this is Indian vacation so you know it's, <laughs> It's stuff like that. And and I do it too, right? Like we're in the middle of the summer and I'm like, what should I do with my kids for eight hours a day? And yes, we go play at the park or, um, you know, we play with toys, but like homeschooling during the summer is like, of course I wouldn't. Like, why wouldn't I? That's what every Indian does. <laughs> you know? It's what's but, modeled. <laughs> yeah. And it's totally normal and everyone enjoys it. Like if my kids didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it, but they love it and they look yeah. forward to it. And so it's stuff like that that feels like, yeah, I was raised in a, 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 you know, even though once I started school, my mom stopped speaking Gujarati and Hindi to us. Um, mm. But she also spoke Swahili because of growing up in Uganda. Wow. Um, and so all of those languages did mix around in our home. Um, but in me- it's many ways, um, it, yeah, because of that, it felt very much traditional Indian household. That's amazing. So was it how was that then for your family for you to marry a Mexican American? Yeah, well, so um obviously on my mom's side no one had ever married, you know, a, a Mexican American, but then before my mom no one had ever married a white man either. <laughs> <laughs> um and that that is also part of my mom's complicated um history too because she grew up Hindu. And it was expected that, so when President Idi Amin in the 70s began waging genocide against the Indians and other minorities in Uganda, Mm. my mom's family fled. And her parents and siblings went to England. Um, She went to India for college and then right afterwards came to the States for for a job. She had Mm. a degree in medical technology. but it was still expected that after some time she would she would go back to England um, and meet another Patel. You know, uh, mm. you have to marry within certain circles, and there's all these rules about what arranged marriages are supposed to be. Uh, and and her her parents had three suitors, three possible um, matches for mm-hmm. her. As is and, the Indian way, <laughs> very Indian, totally totally normal, uh, and this shows a little bit of my mom being a, a feminist before her time is <laughs> that uh, she met all three men who then told her in different ways like once we get married um you will stop working be in the home you know just with the kids and whatnot and my mom just 
went back to America and was like, I'm not marrying any of these suitors. Um, but then not only, not only that, but then she met a white man and chose to marry him and then converted to Christianity uh, wow. as, as well. And so because of those two things, like refusing the arranged marriages and converting, um, her family disowned her. Mm. So I haven't met like the majority of my mom's side of the family Mm. uh, because of that. So, but if you ask my mom, you know, she says it it was one of the hardest decisions of her life, but she, she doesn't regret it either. Mm. Wow. Wow. So then in that sense, when she met Aaron, her husband, she was (laughs) like, we, I get this. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Which, uh, you know, Indian culture, arranged marriages, um, you know, on Netflix, Indian matchmaking mm-hmm. came out. And I'm just so intrigued by how it's become so popular with a white American fan base because <laughs> it goes against every like Western conception of romance and, uh, and, and relationships. You know, it's like the parents decide, the parents know better than their children what sort of life they should have. Of course, they would have an input in their future spouse. <laughs> and I, I, I love it because it's like, Yes, there's so much uh, truth to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pendulum keeps swinging, right? But I, it's so funny because I do think now as a, on the parent side, it's like, sure, I kind of feel like, you know, it'd be great to know who the in-laws would be. <laughs> so there's some wisdom in some of that. <laughs> I like those people and not those people as much. I mean, it's just so funny right. because we, we do have such a... Um, you know, a varying views on, you know, how relationships work. And so I love it. I, and so your kids, like, how are you infusing in them a love for their Indian side, their Mexican side, their, their, um, it's German, you know, their German heritage as well. Like how, how do you do that as a mom now? Like you're the one that's kind of setting the tone. So what does that look like for the Reyes family? Oh goodness. I think it's definitely a journey. Like we're still figuring out what that what that even should look like. Um, but I think one thing uh, that that is a common denominator is food. We, we cook mostly Indian food and now also Mexican food. Um, and my son, who's five, just loves to cook with me. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, and and so on uh, on Monday this past week, it was a big ho- Indian holiday, Raksha Bandhan, which is, um, it celebrates sibling love in India. Mm. And it's for brothers and sisters to celebrate their relationship. It's like a day where you're supposed to put any sibling rivalry on hold, like any sort of grudges or like fights you're having, like you put it on hold and like remind each other why you love each other. <laughs> wow. That's actually a brilliant holiday. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> many levels. <laughs> so, you know, and there's like certain foods you cook on that day and, um, you know, to, to cook like a, like a big Indian feast, uh, it takes a good couple of hours. And I just love that my five-year-old son pulled up a chair and like for two hours, just stood on that chair in the kitchen cooking with me, you know, and wow. smelling all the spices and like, and he's very sensory. So he was like licking the garlic and I'm like, oh, but, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're like talking and cooking and, and taking in the smells and it's such a bonding experience, but it's also like um, just ingraining in him the, the deep beauty and value of Indian mm. food. That's so mm. um, deeply rooted in, 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 in who we are, you know, oh. in, in the Indian 
uh, identity. And so um, food, food definitely plays a central role. I love it. That's beautiful. This week's Did You Know is on living out beliefs in public and in private. Did you know that Carta Dillon was a South Asian American activist, writer, and artist in the 20th century? Born in Simi Valley in 1915, Dillon's father was one of the first to immigrate to the United States from Punjab. In her autobiographical works, Parrot's Beak, she gives a condensed glimpse of what it was like for her growing up in the early 20th century as an Asian American woman, the discrimination she faced, and her tense relationship with her mother. In her work, she also highlights her experiences with racism in hospital settings, in particular as a pregnant woman and being denied health care because of her race. She also addresses issues of gender and how she navigated her parents, in particular her mother's, cultural expectations and the culture surrounding her in Northern California. As she grew older, she made it a point to advocate for gender equity in both the public and private sector, starting with her home. In her autobiography, she talks about how she made it a point to ensure that she created an equitable equitable home environment for both her son and two daughters by having them, quote, help her according to their ability, end quote, rather than what was expected of their gender. She went on to organize for movements such as the Black Panther Party, Farm Workers' Rights, and the Indian Independence Movement, to name a few. For her work, compassion, and tenacity, she was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Punjabi American Heritage Society. And that's this week's Did You Know? Well, so going back to your ethnic journey, can you think of times in the past or even, I guess, recently, you can go any direction you'd like, but just points of pain. And you kind of hit on some of that with just feeling like not feeling like you fit, but just um, times when you might have felt that shame of being Indian American bicultural. Um, what was that like? What what happened? Um, yeah, definitely. Um yeah, you know, not every Asian and not every Indian has experiences of racism, right? And I think this year, the year 2020 with um, anti-Asian racism has forced some people to confront that for the first mm-hmm. time. Um, my story, though, uh, I've, I've experienced a good number of um, encounters with racism for whatever reason, you know, um, that was just part of what God intended in my journey. Um, it's probably part of why I feel so passionately for justice <laughs> and, and <laughs> activism, because I've experienced that so much in my own life. Um, I'll share, I'll, sh- I'll share two quick, the, the first one is super quick. And that's just in, in the story of my own birth. I mean, my mom was an Indian. It wasn't a great time to be an Indian in the United States in the seventies. <laughs> and so um, my mom in South Carolina, when she was um, in labor and, and went to the hospital to give birth and none of the doctors or nurses would, would touch her. Like they put her in this like back room all by herself, like just an empty room. Um, and my dad was a, 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 an air force pilot. He was getting off of base. and was like, I'll get there as soon as I can. 
And thankfully he did get there before I was born and like demanded like a doctor needs to get in here right away. But had he not made it like I was born like in some back empty room of the hospital. And so um, you know, that like racism has been there from the beginning of my own my own journey. Um wow. but a, a more recent experience was so I used to be a German professor and uh, I used to speak at academic conferences and I was speaking at a um, national conference back in 2013 2012 or 2013 now and I had literally just finished giving my talk to a room of hundreds of people um and I went, it was a big convention center. I went down to the main floor where, the, you know, they have all those tables with like swag or books to buy or merchandise or whatnot. Um, and granted, like I'm in, I'm in the field of German. So the majority of people around me are fair skinned, blonde haired, blue eyed. Like I, you know, there's not many Indians in the humanities, let alone uh, Germanic studies. But I was at, I went up to this table because I saw everyone with these really cool purple bags. I was like, I want one of these purple bags. And they were free. Like, it was a free uh, giveaway. And so I, I stood in line, went to get one. And when I got there, the man who was also um, a German-speaking man, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, the whole thing, he, he took a look at me, kind of like an up-and-down look at me. And I asked for the bag, and he just turned around and just stood there with his back um, wow. to me. And at first I thought maybe he's, he's getting the bag. Maybe he's, I don't know, like, like mm-hmm. he was going to go get it, but he just stood there like almost frozen, like a statue. And, and it was like that awkward silence started to linger. And then confusion turned to horror of realizing, Oh, like he's refusing to serve me. Like he's refusing to help me. Um, and it was like all those emotions start to surface, right? Like the shock, the shame, um, Mm. the confusion, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. in the world. Um, and then, you know, that feeling of like all eyes are on me, like everybody must be watching this. Um, Mm -hmm. and and I started to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like wrestling in my mind. Do I say something? Like, do I demand equality like sir you you should give me a bag or should I just like go hide like go away and hide somewhere in shame but I was so grateful that day because there was a woman um behind me who I'd been chit-chatting with in the line another German professor from another university um and she was watching this whole thing unfold and came out from behind me stood next to me and um, this was all in German too. Like, wow. Basically <laughs> said, like, sir, give her a bag. Like, she deserves a bag, kind of thing. And it was because of this other fair-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman, mm-hmm. you know, standing in solidarity with me and and having this white allyship with me that the man turned around, looked at her, and slowly then took a bag, one of those purple bags, which now I didn't even want. (laughs) (laughs) And he gave it to the other woman who then gave it to me. Wow. I, you know, I just looked at her. I remember like feeling like the tears were about to start welling up in my eyes. I just, Mm -hmm. I I said, thank you. 
And I walked straight back to my hotel room. <laughs> I was like, you wow. know, I, I cannot believe that I just experienced that being one of the major speakers for this convention. And, and you know, um, and uh, yeah, I, it's, it's just one of those experiences that you'll never forget, mm-hmm. right? You'll never forget that kind of shame um, of, of simply being rejected because of the color of your skin or the way mm-hmm. you um, but then also that gratitude for for a woman who didn't even really know me mm. um, speaking on my behalf, you know, yeah, yeah, and all of that is mixed up in that one encounter. Oh wow, you just that captures so many layers to the whole experience, and I think that there's that layer also of being a woman you know, and it's a man that's doing this too. I think that there's also that the gender piece of it as well. That is kind of a, I don't know. I think that plays into our, like what our, our culture and what we're taught. Um, so it's, it's very layered. And I think it is, it demonstrates the importance of the allyship too, because I think left to ourselves, we just don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to cause trouble and we don't want to it's, you know, it's not a big deal. It's okay. And we say that a lot, I think, as Asian women. It's like, it's okay. You know, I'm sorry. We like, we start every sentence with, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, I, I don't even know what I'm apologizing for. We're just, I'm sorry that I'm saying I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. But I think we do. We, we minimize ourselves so often. And we, one of the things that Susie Gomez had shared um, during the Q&A time, we had a, a virtual pop-up for some days here last night. Uh, and she just said, learning to take up the space and be okay with that. But we mm-hmm. actually have to kind of psych ourselves up to do just that uh, because it feels so uncomfortable sometimes to do that. So, yeah. wow. So, okay, flipping, flipping <laughs> over to the other side of it. Um, mm-hmm. What are some things that you feel like a real healthy pride about of your heritage and your background? Yeah. Um, you know, I think what I've been learning about more recently in my own cultural identity development is that um, the more I can dig into Indian history, the mm. more pride I can take in, in who I am as an Indian, if, if you will. And, um, you know, Latasha Morrison in her in her book, Be the Bridge, she has this wonderful quote where she uh, where she says, when we lack historical understanding, we lose part of our identity. And we don't know, when, when we don't know where we came from, we don't know what there is to celebrate. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget, um, <laughs> this might have been around the same time, because it was 2012, my husband and I, we were still living in Chicago. And this uh, new exhibit uh, opened up at the Field Museum. And it was called... Maharaja, the splendor of India's royal courts. And mm. it, it was the most um, incredible experience I'd ever had because it, the exhibit told the story of Indian kings um, throughout wow. India's history, all the way up through 1947 when India became independent. And the entire exhibit was stunning. Like it was, wow. it, was it put all of the richness and, and beauty of Indian mm and of, 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 of Indian kings and queens on full display. And I mean, you know, the, obviously there's all, there's all the opulence, the jewels and the diamonds. I mean, there was this, there's this famous Indian necklace that was, that was worn by this um, uh, queen that had like over 3,000 diamonds on it. I mean, just 
incredible. But then also like um, paintings by famous Indian artists mm. with women that looked exactly like me on it. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> With the like, with the you know the little sideburns and the black hair on the arms and like all of that, <laughs> you know? and, but like like these were the most beautiful women in mm. India, kind of thing. And it was like it it was it was this idea of this is what India was like before British rule, and this mm. could also be what India could be today, possibly without if, if British rule hadn't ever. Um, yes been there and on a side note it's one of the reasons why um one of my favorite movies nowadays is is black panther because yes. it's, it's this vision of a african country that was never colonized you yes. know the the beauty and richness and power of it um and it was like it was like seeing this part of my culture that had never been taught right like i knew about the british empire and 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 colonization and um, and, and 1947 and, and India's independence, but like I hadn't really been taught the before. Yes, <laughs> and, and all of this incredible wealth uh, to to the Maharajas and 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 whatnot, and and, and most Indian Americans, I would argue, don't know that, that mm. history. Um, and then also as Christians, like knowing about Indian Christians during this time too, and like the ways in which they were mm-hmm. living out their faith culturally and, 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 and all the rest. So all that to say, um, that was when I, I, it's like I, my, my lens changed for who I was. And it was like, Mm. I can, I can dig into my, I can hold as a Christian, I can hold the Bible in one hand and keep digging into the rich history of India on the Mm -hmm. other to inform who I am as, and, and can, can celebrate that. So Oh, that's so beautiful. I I think that that's where that piece of representation matters. Representation in our history, Mm -hmm. representation even in what we see visually. Like I, when you're sharing what you're experiencing walking through this museum, you know, with these exhibits, I was picturing that little girl who saw Michelle Obama's portrait. And there's that picture of her. She's got, she's probably maybe three years old, but her, when she saw it, she just, her jaw literally just dropped in awe. Like here was a role model, you know? And I just think that that's what happens when we have representation on, in a conference stage in, you know, so if there were any um, people of Indian descent in the audience in the German thing <laughs> that you were at, which probably didn't exist, but if there were, right. what that would mean, you know what I'm saying? Like to a young Indian, you know, student to mm-hmm. see someone who looks like her and what that does for us when we see a really positive portrayal in media or otherwise, you know, I just think that again, the missing uh, flavors and textures and literal colors that mm-hmm. are not there when the storyline is just the same old, same old, same old again. And that's not necessarily representing what our country is. And, you know, so I I think of like, okay, besides Mindy 
um, you know, do we have any other like representatives in Hollywood, you know, like who are they and can we, you know, and now we have Netflix, you know, and the popularity of Indian matchmaking. I mean, it's like, it's saying something that there's a, a hunger to learn, but even to celebrate Indian Americans and the achievements that have are huge but we just don't learn about them in our history. So I just feel like this is this is one of the reasons why we want to have, you know, the Did You Knows as part of our Someday Is Here podcast, because it's like, we just don't know. And and for Indian <laughs> Americans to know um, about yeah. that is it does, it just causes us to hold our heads a little higher that we come from a heritage that is, celeb- we can celebrate and we can be proud of. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. that. Yeah. That is beautiful. Well, um, I would love for you to take a little bit of time and share maybe some of what your vision is with the Asian American Christian Collaborative, some of the work that you're doing with racial, the racial tension, how, to, how we're addressing that as Asian Americans. Um, what, are, what are some of your hopes and dreams? What are some of the things that are happening? Can help inform us with some of the resources and anything else that you'd like to share? Okay, yeah, definitely. Well, um, AACC came about uh, at the beginning of, of March of this year, 2020, and we came out with a statement um, against anti-Asian racism. And, uh, you know, within a few weeks, garnered over 10,000 signatures. And so it was really well received across a spectrum of, of Christians, right? You know, for lack of better terms, like we had both progressive and conservative, you know, Republican, Democrat, you know, what, what have you all rallying around this. And this was like a, a, we felt like it was a historical moment because when have, when has a national Asian American community ever rallied together against racism toward their own community? And we, we have, certainly a, a long history of anti-Asian racism in U.S. history, um, including, for example, um, the internment camp, uh, the, the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II and, 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 and whatnot. But, uh, and there was pockets of people, pockets of resistance to that, but never collectively as a mm. whole. So um, I think something new is happening right now. And as, and, um, as you've mentioned that, there's there's a, a new generation on the scene with a high racial consciousness um, and a high passion for for calling out injustice, calling out racism, and I think part of it also has to do with um, many of us now being second generation, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were we were born here. Um, speaking of, of of other South Asian voices, there's there's two comedians, um, Hassan Minaj and oh, I uh, love him. Yes, yes and, and Lily Singh, and um, they're wonderful comedians. Uh, but you know, they both talk about and and Hassan in particular talks about like I was born here. Like I have the audacity of a, of equality in this country. Mm-hmm. So even though our parents taught us, we should just keep our head down and work hard and just take whatever happens to us which is what they modeled at after 9-11, for example, uh, right. when, you know, my family uh, and so many others were called terrorists and we had people's um, cars who were keyed and all these other sorts of things. And our parents just modeled to us, like, be grateful to be in this country. Don't say anything. Don't rock the boat. Just keep working hard and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. And this next generation is like, that's not enough. <laughs> This is no longer, you know, an accepted like bare minimum 
uh, you know, sort of quality of life. And, and, and so at, at AACC, we, we definitely have this um, desire, a few different um, desires. One is just to elevate and, and center the Asian American experience, including experiences of racism, so that people, people understand that's real. Because in the midst of COVID-19, so many Asian Americans are experiencing racism on different levels and being called snowflakes or um, having their experience delegitimized in some way. Like, well, that's not really racism or like, how can you compare what you're experiencing with what um, African Americans have experienced in this country or, you know, all sorts of delegitimizations um, and to like make a space to say, okay. (laughs) Like, we hear you. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you have a safe space to share this and 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 for your own community to care for you. But then also to equip the next generation to to know how to have that balance of a prophetic and a pastoral voice. How do we disciple the next generation to, to call out injustice and and to demand things like reparations and true equality while also understanding the biblical need for pastoral call-ins, right? And to mm-hmm. like bring people back to repentance and to point people back to Christ. Like, like anarchy is not the goal. <laughs> right, <laughs> like just right. burn everything down is not the goal. And so right. um, there's real discipleship opportunities here too. And so, yeah, I mean, through AACC, through the work that we're doing, like, like we are committed to paving a new path and making new spaces for Asian American Christians. Um, and we can't take away the pain that we're experiencing, but we can, we can create a place for healing, right. Mm. And, um, for, for solidarity. So, uh, yeah, it feels like we've been around for two years. <laughs> I think it's been like <laughs> four and a half months, <laughs> but, uh, just really excited for, for all the things that are happening, um, at, at AACC. Oh my goodness. Well, I have loved your leadership in particular. And I think it's really, um, when the statement was being formed and there was a bunch of us in, in a, uh, for, it started off as like a messenger thread that yeah. just kind of blew up and like, can yeah. you take this someplace else? But it was just, there, but there was so much of a, a let's rally together, you know, and we all, we don't all know the same people. So let's introduce one another to more. And so I think that's been a very, uh, what I've really loved about how you work um, is just very open-handed. Like how can we call in voices and experiences of different ages and different experiences, different, obviously different Asian, you know, stories. Um, So it's been great. We'll link up the website and all of that so people can read that. But how can people find you, Michelle? And I know, I mean, you do much more than that. You're a writer for Encourage and you, you're, it seems like every other day um, I'm seeing something that you're publishing or working on. (laughs) So it's been beautiful. I've just been woohooing, you know, for my little my little home in Southern California, but I'm woohooing loud for you. But how can people find you? Like, what are some of the things that you're currently working on? And what can we be looking for, looking out for? Definitely. Well, I uh, just also wanted to say thank you for your involvement with helping draft the statement and for your support of AACC. You know, we're definitely in this together. So very grateful for you, Viv. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, if people want to learn more about the Asian American Christian Collaborative, they can go to AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative.com and all of our social media handles are um, that ampersand AA Christ Collab. 
for me personally, I think I'm in all the the normal places. You know, you can find me on on Twitter at uh, Dr. Michelle Reyes, Facebook Michelle.ami.reyes, and then Instagram Michelle Reyes. Um, but yeah, so uh, be besides uh, work with AACC, which we're always welcoming more voices or if people want to volunteer, like there's, there's so many wonderful opportunities. Um, I'm also the editorial director for a nonprofit called PAX, uh, which is seeking to promote the peace of Jesus in the 21st century and specifically centers the voices of color and Gen Z, uh, Gen Z uh, Christians of color. And so, um, you know, this is really where we want to platform uh, the next generation and lead the, like have, Christians of color leading the conversation forward um, on how uh, on, on our faith, how we can be at peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with each other, which is all wrapped up into conversations of, of racial reconciliation mm. and, and healing and, and whatnot. Um, and so if there are aspiring writers out there looking for platforms, and we all know how difficult it is for people of color and particularly women of color to find the same opportunities for writing and publishing. Mm. Um, PAX is a place that is wanting to change that narrative. So um, I welcome people reaching out to me. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, I'd love to talk with folks. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll definitely link all those up in the talk notes and I know that they'll be able to find you. Um, before we go though, I do need to hear your favorite Asian comfort food. Ooh, oh goodness. Um, I don't know what it is about the combination of rice, uh, milk, and sugar, but <laughs> uh, and I feel like almost every culture has their version of a rice pudding, but uh, Indian kheer um, is I mean, that's literally what it is. Like, we always looked forward to um, after a meal if there was leftover rice uh, because we would mix that with some milk and sugar and just let it marinate for an hour um over over a low heat and then maybe a splash of cardamom and a splash of cinnamon mm. and um i don't know when i'm making that when i'm eating it i just feel like all is right with the world <laughs> you know so uh, oh. now do you have a specific rice that you love uh, basmati, basmati rice and like, is there a brand that you love rice. Ooh, um, our local Indian grocery store uh, sells Swad, S-W-A-D, Swad. It's a very typical Indian brand. Mm. Uh, so we get the Swad, basmati rice. Swad, oh, yes. Rice is a big deal. Like, you know, when you get the right rice, it just, it changes everything. So, yeah, mm. no, this is very good. <laughs> My mouth is watering. So only means that it's almost lunchtime, but also just want to be able to eat a meal with you sometimes. So it's just like, oh. It was such a joy. In February, I had never had Korean barbecue before. So that was a new experience for me. Oh. I, I loved it, but it was it was totally new, you know? Yes. And, so, and I think I was with Margaret and a few others. So they had to teach me, you know, how you mm-hmm. do, you know, flipping the meat and whatnot. So it's <laughs> like, they're like, like it's food is not just food, right? Like it's a whole communal 
practice. Uh, yes. Experiencing that is just, oh, it's so good. So good. Well, I have loved just being able to reconnect with you and see you. Well, I get to see you because we have the video part and I'm excited for the Sundays here community here, more of your story and to follow you in all the places and just continue to see how, you know, all there's just, I don't think there are ever any accidents. And in the midst of our life turned upside down, it's really encouraging to me to see uh, relationships that have formed and um, paths that have been forged Mm. to uh, creating a more whole and just and beautiful society that's Mm. representative of all. And so I love your leadership in that and just think Mm. the world of you. So thanks. (laughs) Hi, Michelle. So great to chat with you. Thank you, Viv. Such a great conversation, right? Uh, I would encourage you right now, go follow Michelle everywhere. She is doing some really important work, um, both in her writing and her speaking and where she's representing. She's really um, an up-and-coming leader that you you will want to keep tracking with. Um, I loved our conversation. I loved how uh, Michelle pulled out the importance of our cultural identity, that this is really these stories that define who we are and what we see as good and true and these differing narratives. I just thought that was so beautiful. And my call to action this week is take time to learn about your history again. Um, When she walked through the museum and There's that connection, that rooting that takes place, um, the pride of celebrating our heritage. So whatever your ethnic background is, learn about what your history really is and the the cultural um, values that you bring into your life that come from your heritage. So take time to do that. I would also encourage you to look up Asian American Christian Collaborative, Find the resources that are there that will inform um, just resourcing as Asian Americans. And for those of you who are not Asian Americans, read the the um, letter, the open letter about anti-Asian racism. I think it's full of really important information. So have a fabulous week. Look forward to you hearing and sharing uh, this episode and the ones to come. It's going to be a great season, and we're so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us this week. As always, we appreciate your feedback and invite you to subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast to help others find this show. The outstanding team that makes Some Days Here possible is composed of an incredible group of men and women. The Some Days Here logo and graphics are designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Production. The show notes and quotes are compiled by Vicki Fan. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The Did You Know section is researched and written by Elise Izumi. The creative design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantel Reynolds. Have a great week, and we look forward to bringing you another episode of Sunday is Here next week.